Good morning. It is good to be uh, with you here. Uh, it's uh, always a, a unique experience uh, as a pastor uh, to have uh, a wife uh, who is uh, pregnant and overdue. Uh, and uh, I've been going back and forth with Bruce this week of like, how's Libby feeling? And Bruce has been on standby. And so we've kind of gone back and forth and back and forth. We don't know who's going to preach today, uh, but uh, it's me. So uh, that means Libby's doing okay. Baby's, uh, baby's still on the inside. Looking forward to baby being on the outside and uh, getting to meet that little one uh, soon. But uh, I would invite you now. Uh, to open with me to John chapter 9, uh, where we're going to continue to, to study uh, in the Gospel of John. And uh, as you are turning there, if, uh, if you were a, a painter, how would you communicate the idea of uh, someone being blind in one of your paintings? Uh, and several ways you might uh, go about it. You might uh, draw this person as not having any uh, physical eyes uh, or kind of having uh, eyes that are, that are crossed out. Uh, you may choose also to, uh, in a more modern sense, uh, show them with uh, sunglasses and maybe with a walking stick or a seeing eye dog. Or you might show that person kind of uh, looking upwards and, and being led along by, by others. There are several different ways that you might communicate uh, physical blindness in a painting, uh, but an even more difficult uh, thing to communicate in a painting might be the idea of uh, spiritual blindness. Uh, how, how might you present that or draw that, uh, present that to uh, people uh, to, to give an understanding of what spiritual blindness is? Uh, and, and that is difficult to uh, communicate in, a, in colors on a on a page or on a canvas, but uh, the Apostle John uh, is going to, to give us a painting of spiritual blindness here uh, at the end of John chapter 9. Uh, we've been studying through uh, John's gospel. We've been looking at uh, John chapter 9 uh, the last few weeks. We've moved through this chapter faster than we have other chapters. Uh, and, and the whole premise of John chapter 9, uh, the, the, the central focus uh, of the chapter was found at the very beginning of that chapter, verses 1 through 3. Uh, as he passed by, he, speaking of Jesus, saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Uh, and what we have seen uh, in this uh, painting of John chapter 9 uh, has been that, that all of these things are, are taking place uh, to reveal the, the works of God, uh, to glorify God and to present God as the one who uh, still works in and through human suffering, to present Jesus as the one who is able to heal, as, a, as the one who is able to save We've also seen the cost of following Jesus uh, as this man who was uh, born blind begins to, uh, to disagree uh, with the, the religious leaders of his own day uh, as the religious leaders apply pressure to him uh, to say that Jesus is a sinner, to say that Jesus uh, was not the one who healed him. Uh, and uh, as we look at this last closing section of John chapter 9, uh, we're we're going to see one more portion of this uh, larger portrait painted in and filled in. Uh, and it's going to be in this little section, we're going to see a, a portrayal of spiritual blindness. Uh, and this is going to be seen and, and evident uh, in the religious leaders. But uh, this concept of, of spiritual blindness is something that we probably don't often think about. 
Uh, it's a, a concept that, that usually eludes us and we don't focus upon. Uh, but this is going to be presented to us uh, this morning, and, and we're going to see that it is a, a tremendous danger uh, because uh, it, with spiritual blindness, you are blind to your blindness. Uh, you don't realize uh, the, the condition that you are in, uh, and that's what makes it so dangerous. And we're also going to see that each and every one of us uh, have a little bit of this spiritual blindness uh, impacting in our sight uh, and uh, although we're going to just look at verses 39 to 41 in John chapter 9 this morning, uh, I want to want to back up a little bit and begin reading in verse 24 and read through the end of the chapter. So for the second time, uh, they, speaking of the Pharisees, called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, speaking of Jesus, we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken of to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Well, what we're going to see in these last three verses in John chapter 9, uh, these three verses are going to explain everything that has preceded. Uh, it's going to give us an, an insight and an understanding into uh, all of the, the, the hidden underlying meaning between uh, the, the rejection of the Pharisees, the healing of the blind man. What is all of this intended to portray? Uh, all for the glory of God. Uh, and uh, in these verses, the Apostle John is going to give us this portrait of spiritual blindness as Jesus is going to re rebuke the religious leaders uh, who have claimed to have this spiritual wisdom and understanding, and yet they are in actuality spiritually blind. And this portrait of, of spiritually blind people is still relevant today because there still is uh, among us and among the world spiritually blind. 
Uh, spiritual blindness still afflicts us today, and as we will see, it's, it's a part of every person's human experience. But if we were to, to recognize this, well, how would we go about doing that, right? It's easy to diagnose physical blindness, right? The, the person cannot see. Uh, but how would you diagnose spiritual blindness? Uh, what are the, the symptoms that would help us to, to see and understand what a spiritually blind person looks like? Well, uh, as we're going to look at this passage, there's, there's going to be three distinguishing marks uh, that help us to identify spiritual blindness in our own lives and in the lives of others. Uh, and these, these three distinguishing marks, uh, the first one is going to be seen in verse 39. We could say that spiritual blindness is identified by its response to the light. If you look with me once more at verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Uh, now, now the first part of this verse where Jesus says, For judgment I did not come into this, or for judgment I came into this world. Some of you that remember way back when or who are good students of the Bible, you may recall a verse earlier in John, uh, John chapter 3, if you, if you turn back there with me, uh, the verse after the most famous verse in all the Bible, John three seventeen. right? It, it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So Now these... Two verses on the on the surface seem like they are contradicting one another, right? Uh, John three seventeen says God did not send His Son to condemn the world, but then Jesus, in essence, is saying that He came into the world in John chapter nine to do what? To judge, to to bring judgment. Uh, and so, how do we understand these two verses? Uh, over the course of John's gospel, we have seen over and over again that Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, this was introduced to us in John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, John chapter 1, verse 4 spoke of Jesus as the light and the life of the world. And then as we saw back in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus made a bold proclamation. Right? He says, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, and one of the effects of Light is to reveal what has been taking place in the dark. Uh, the light comes into the world and the, the deeds of darkness are going to be uh, exposed for what they are. Uh, and Jesus was not sent into the world to condemn the world. He was indeed sent to save. Uh, but, but the reality is as soon as the light comes into the world, one of the, the side effects of that is going to be judgment. Uh, because things are going to be revealed and exposed. Uh, when His light shines forth, truth is revealed and human hearts are revealed. If you're still there with me in John chapter 3, it's, this is explained in verses 18 and following. It says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. This is the effect of the light. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. 
Uh, this is what the light does. It exposes everything that was previously hidden. Uh, and the spiritual blindness in each and every one of our hearts uh, is revealed to us by the light of Christ. Now, in, in my youth ministry days, we, we used to play a game, uh, a big group game called Murder in the Dark. Uh, now, don't judge me for the, the danger of this game, but it's in, in the past. Uh, now, this game required some preparation before we uh, played it. And so we would, we would play in the, the basement of one of the buildings at our church. And uh, the youth staff and I, we would go in with tin foil and we would wrap up uh, the exit signs uh, so that the, the, the basement would be completely and absolutely dark. I mean, like so dark, you, you wave your hand in your, in your face and you can't see anything. Uh, and so because there were also pillars in the room, people really had to walk around with their hands out. Uh, and so, but the game was played. We would count off all of the students, and some of the students would be murderers, uh, and they would kind of go around in the dark, and uh, they would murder somebody by squeezing their shoulder. And if you had your shoulder squeezed, you were murdered, and you would take a seat on the ground, uh, and then you would wait until somebody uh, walking around the room would kind of uh, stumble into you or, or kick you on the ground, uh, and then that person would shout, murder in the dark. Uh, and as soon as that was shouted, the staff member who was over by the light switch would immediately turn on the lights. Uh, and as soon as that happened, you could see everything that was going on. All right, these guys over here are goofing off, they're play fighting. Okay, uh, this person over here is the one who stumbled into the dead person. Uh, but then you would also begin to, to notice what was taking place in the darkness. You're like, wait, this one, this one student keeps being around the dead body. That means something. Right. Uh, he, maybe he's the murderer. And then judgment would come from the other youth students as they accuse and, and do different things. But it was a, an amazing sensation of going from complete darkness to full illumination. Uh, and whatever was happening, wherever people were standing, whatever they were doing was completely revealed in that moment. Uh, and that is the effect of Jesus coming into the world. He comes into the world, he begins to teach and preach, and everything is exposed to the light of his word. Everything is truly known for what it is. And he says that, that Jesus came into the world to reveal, to judge, but he also explains what it means for him to come in judgment. There is a reversal that takes place when the light of Christ uh, shines forth. That something is going to happen. The light is going to transform you and have an impact upon you. And it's going to do one of two things. The first possibility uh, is spoken of that those who do not see may see. Now, when the light of Christ shines, you may gain your sight. Now, you may begin to see life completely differently, uh, examining your own life and looking at the world around you. You may now begin to see clearly. Now, but then there's also a second option uh, and a second effect of the light is that those who see may become blind. And you can think of it this way. The light of Christ, when it shines, is so bright, it, it will either help you to see or it will completely blind you. All right, what do you do when a light is too bright early in the morning? All right, you're like, oh, it burns. Turn it off. Uh, but, but that's the, the idea here. This is the effect of the light of Christ upon the world. It's either going to give sight or it's going to blind you. Uh, and uh, our response to this light will reveal uh, whether we are spiritually blind or spiritually sighted. Uh, how we reveal, even back in John chapter 3, uh, the, the illustration I, I, I used, and I've pointed back to it multiple times, uh, but what did it say? Those who uh, are doing wicked things, how do they respond to the light? 
they run away, right? But when, if you have ever lived in a place that has cockroaches, when the light comes on, what do they do? They scamper away, right? Uh, that, that's one response. But what do moths do when the lights come on? They are attracted to the light. Our response to the light is going to reveal uh, whether we have spiritual sight or whether we are spiritually blind. So, so the question uh, is going to be, how has the light impacted you? Uh, has the light of Christ given you sight or has it uh, made you and cemented you in your blindness? It's going to do one of those two things. Uh, and this whole chapter of John chapter 9 is an illustration of those two realities, right? There was a man who was born blind, who's been living in complete darkness. And when he interacts with Jesus, what happens? He begins to see. He is healed physically and spiritually. He gains physical sight and he gains spiritual sight. But what's also amazing is that those who have been claiming to see the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they have been claiming that they are able to see, but over the course of this chapter, what is it that becomes evident? That they are blind. Uh, they, they cannot see things clearly. That they have refused to respond to Jesus uh, and to acknowledge who he is and what he has done. They are just cemented more and more in their blindness. But what we also have to see in this verse, uh, it, there is an amazing invitation. Uh, there is uh, an offer of transformation that Jesus is able, uh, if we are willing to recognize and acknowledge our blindness, that he is able to, to give us sight. That he is able to transform. Uh, and there is a possibility that urges us to cry out to Jesus, just as uh, another blind man in Scripture did, a man named Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. Says this, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, and, and this is the, the cry, this is the exclamation that we are supposed to make when we see and understand that Jesus is able to give us sight, that he is able to cure our spiritual blindness, that we must cry out to him. And if we don't do that, uh, our blindness will persist. Uh, there is a great uh, philosopher and, and baseball player, Yogi Berra, and he said, if I didn't wake up, I'd still be sleeping. Like, yes, that's, that's very true. Uh, and it's going to be very true about our spiritual condition as well. Uh, unless Jesus opens our eyes, we are still going to be blind. Uh, we are still going to be living in darkness. So the urgency here is to look to Christ, uh, to cry out to him, to ask him to give us sight. He is able and he is willing if we would cry out to him. And this uh, reality that uh, the light uh, is going to reveal whether we are spiritually blind or spiritually sighted. Uh, spiritual blindness is revealed by uh, the distinguishing mark of our response uh, to the light. Uh, and then secondly, uh, the a second mark of spiritual blindness, the spiritual blindness is identified in verse 40 by its confusion about its own sight. If you look at verse 40, to some of the Pharisees near him, heard these things and they said to him are we also blind 
Uh, and so some of the, the Pharisees being nearby, having, having overheard this and probably seeing this man uh, worship Jesus and, and hearing what Jesus has, has said, uh, they, they ask this question, and it's just loaded with sarcasm. Uh, they ask this question, uh, and the, the, the grammar underlying the question in the Greek uh, implies that they expected a negative response. They expected uh, a no. Uh, so they're going to ask this question, are we also blind? Uh, and, and the way that they, they phrase it is like, we're, no, we're not blind. There's no way that's true. Uh, they assumed uh, that they had spiritual sight. Uh, And they didn't even think that it was even remotely possible that they might be blind. I mean, these are the the teachers in Israel. These are the leaders of all of the synagogues. That's who the Pharisees were. Uh, And so they never would have thought for a moment that they would be spiritually blind. And yet, again, this whole chapter has demonstrated that that they are uh, so blind and they don't even realize it. They are confused about their own blindness. And going back and, and looking at what has, has transpired, uh, this man who had been blind from birth uh, proclaimed that he had been healed, and they didn't believe him. They, they said, no, there's no way. There's no way that you could be blind from birth and that Jesus healed you. Let's go talk to your parents. And they go talk to the parents, and what do they find out? Yes, this is their son, and he was blind from birth. Uh, and so in their investigation, uh, what they refused to believe was only actually confirmed in talking with the parents. And they say, okay, well, what do they know? Let's go back and talk to the son again. And they go back and they talk to the son. And this time, uh, they can't refute whether or not he was born blind. That fact has been confirmed. Uh, but the second conversation with him, uh, they go and they tr- they're tr- now trying to prove that Jesus was a sinner. And Jesus could not have possibly performed this miracle. And over the course of these interrogations, there is a recurring theme throughout. The word no is repeated 11 times in these uh, interrogations from verse 8 to verse 34. There's this constant exclamation of what, what we know or what we uh, don't know, uh, what is certain, what is uncertain. And we see repeatedly that the Pharisees are certain about the things that they have not seen. They are certain that Jesus is a sinner, even though they've never seen or heard Jesus sin. Uh, And they are uncertain uh, about things that they have very clearly seen and have been verified uh, through the testimony of eyewitnesses. Uh, They are uncertain that this man has been healed by Jesus, even though the man testifies to it and his parents testify that he has been born blind. All of this kind of comes to a, a climax in verse 30 where this man who was blind says, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. The obvious implication has been that the one who was blind is now seeing, and those who claim to be seeing are very clearly blind. And, And the big point here is that these men are blind to their blindness. And this question that they ask in verse 40 shows the depths of that blindness. Are we also blind? Now, some of you, when uh, we've been playing a, a board game or a card game with a group of people, and there's one person, maybe more, who kind of gets distracted in conversations, uh, and then they are, they're always asking, whose turn is it? Uh, well, I usually respond, if you have to ask whose turn it is, it's probably your turn, right? Uh, and that's kind of th- this question that these leaders are asking, 
uh, when they're saying, are we also blind? It's like, well, if you have to ask, it's probably true uh, that this is the situation here. If you have to ask, are we blind also? If you don't know, uh, if we were to, to paint this in a, a modern hue, we could uh, paint it as cartoon blind men there with their, their sunglasses and their walking sticks. They're standing on a street corner and they are proclaiming loudly and boldly, we can see. Uh, and you're just like, wait, some, something is not right here. Now, this is not corresponding to reality. And simply claiming that you can see does not actually mean that you can see. Uh, reality doesn't change just because you say something. Uh, or kind of in a, in a similar pattern, a, a new thing has started to happen at the dinner table for our family. Uh, about halfway through dinner, my two-and-a-half-year-old uh, will uh, joyfully proclaim, I'm all done! Uh, and a quick glance at his uh, plate shows, like, you're not even close to done. Uh, th- this is not, uh, you, you just want dessert. Uh, and so he, he wishes he could speak that into existence, but simply proclaiming something does not make it so. Uh, and these men... They have eyes, but they do not see. That's the point. They they claim that they can see, but that they are stuck and trapped in darkness. And their condition is not unique to them as religious leaders. Jesus said the same thing uh, about the the crowds of people uh, who were following him back in Matthew chapter 13. And he'd begun to speak to the crowds uh, in parables. And so the disciples come up to him and they, they ask him, why are you speaking in parables? Like, why not speak plainly to them? And, and this is Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 10. So the disciples came to him and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. And indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. And this is an amazing uh, text, because it just speaks about Jesus speaks in parables to veil and hide the meaning, because uh, it leads to a greater condemnation if people fully understand everything that Jesus has taught and yet continue to walk in rebellion towards him. Uh, And the religious leaders, they understood everything that Jesus was proclaiming. Uh, Everything that Jesus taught, uh, they understood. They understood that he was claiming to be the Son of God. They understood that he was claiming to be the Messiah that they must look to and trust in, and yet they completely rejected him. But Jesus also spoke this way about the masses of people who were following him. And this is what we see, that, that confusion about our sightedness uh, is a, a natural part of the human experience. Uh, we naturally think that we can understand and comprehend spiritual matters in our own wisdom, and we really cannot. Uh, it's natural to think that we have sight when we really don't. Because again, we see things physically, and we see and interpret, uh, but uh, how do we work 
through this reality that we are spiritually blind? And how do we act, even uh, come to, to grips and examine our own lives? How do we know uh, if we are spiritually blind? How do we work through this confusion about our sightedness? The, the Pharisees are confused here. Uh, how do we work through our own confusion? How do we really examine our hearts and lives? And uh, the key would be this, uh, is examining what is the basis for my sight? What is the reason that I am able to see things? There's a couple different ways of answering that question. Say, do you believe that you have spiritual sight because of your own wisdom, uh, knowledge, ability, or achievement? If you're going to say, I'm able to understand things because I have this experience, because I have this education, or because I have been attending church for this many years, or because I was born into a Christian family, or because I'm this social status, or even uh, I have a, a lot of Bible knowledge. Guess who else had a whole lot of Bible knowledge? The Pharisees. Okay? They had way more knowledge of God's Word than any of us here. And yet, what does Jesus say about them? They are spiritually blind. They think they can see, but they can't. So the, the correct question, or, or the, the kind of the two questions that we face, is what, what's the basis for our sight? Is the basis of my spiritual sight, my own wisdom, my own strength, my own cleverness, or is the basis of my sight that I have received sight from Jesus? Uh, that, that's the, the only source of true spiritual sight is Christ. He has to work in our life and give us that sight. We don't earn it. We don't grow it in our own hearts and minds. It has to be given and granted to us uh, by Jesus himself. Uh, and if we look to Jesus as the foundation for our light and our sight, then we are truly able to see. But if not, then we are still steeped in blindness. Uh, and each of us needs to examine our hearts and our minds and really being honest of what is it that able, enables me to see the world clearly. Is it God's word? Is it Jesus? Or is it myself? And merely professing that we have sight, that we are able to see, does not make it so. And uh, to claim to be able to see uh, and in reality that you, you are blind, that is, that is a... A most dangerous condition, isn't it? To think, oh, I can see, I know where I'm going and how to navigate everything. If you believe that, but it's not true, there's really nothing more dangerous than that. And this leads to a, the, the third and, and uh, kind of final distinguishing mark of spiritual blindness that we see in this passage. And it's, it's in verse 41 that spiritual blindness is identified by its trust in its own sight. Verse 41, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. And this is pretty sobering within this. Because Jesus is now speaking directly to the Pharisees. Uh, and he's going to make two statements to them. And, and the first is a conditional clause. It's an, it's an if-then statement, right? If this were true, he says, if you would say that you were blind, if you would acknowledge your spiritual blindness, then the result would be you would have no sin. 
Now, the, the implication, if they would acknowledge their spiritual blindness, if they would humble themselves uh, in, in acknowledging their spiritual blindness, they would look to Jesus in faith and dependence, then the result would be that their sins would be forgiven. The, the, the second statement makes it very clear that that hypothetical is not true. If they would look to Jesus, if they would acknowledge their blindness, they would be forgiven. But because they haven't done that, this is what has come to pass. Because they continue to say, we see, he says, your guilt remains. Your sin remains upon you. Now, and in essence, what has taken place is, is these religious leaders are believing in and of themselves that they have enough light and enough sight to be able to see and understand everything clearly. And because they believe that, they, they don't think that they need Jesus. That they reject him and his light because they think their own light is enough to see by. And, and this is where we have these issues starting to compound. And this is what makes spiritual blindness so dangerous. Because they believe they have light and sight. They reject Jesus as the only true source of spiritual light and sight. And because of their rejection, that in essence seals them off of any hope of actually beginning to see. That their rejection of Christ leads to an incurable blindness. Right? They, they're saying that they can see and then they're rejecting the only hope of actually seeing. And... And this is what needs to be really sobering to us. Because, again, thinking through, who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to religious people. He's saying, you are the spiritually blind. That should get our attention. He's applying this to the most religious people of his day. But again, this blindness is common to all men. And it, it's, it's common to religious people, and it's common to people who are non-religious, or you could say secular. But even then, that uh, secularism is a religion. Uh, that, that is the, the common worldview of our culture today, secular humanism. Uh, that's, that's the elevation of man's reason uh, as the final authority. Again, it's that proclamation is, I, I understand everything. I'm able to evaluate uh, and judge what is right and what is wrong. And this worldview traces itself back to the, the Enlightenment in the late 1700s. And, and one early American that you probably heard of, Thomas Paine, is famous for a little pamphlet that kind of uh, encouraged the Revolutionary War. And that pamphlet was known as Common Sense. Uh, but he, he wrote another book called The Age of Reason. And, and this is what he said. He says, I have gone through the Bible as a man would go through a wood with an axe and felled trees, and here they lie, and the priest may replant them, but they will never grow. Saying, I've gone through the Bible, and I've, I've disproved everything. I've made sure that's not going to bear any more fruit. I've disproved all of Scripture. I think, you know, 200 years later, we, we know what's true and what's not true regarding his statement. But that is the mindset. And what's interesting here is that both Thomas Paine and the Pharisees proclaim that they are able to see. Uh, but this proclamation shows itself in two very different ways. Now, at the root of both of these proclamations uh, is the sin of pride. I am able to see. 
But between these two, Thomas Paine and the Pharisees, we see how uh, the sin of pride manifests itself in two very distinct ways. One way pride manifests itself is, in essence, by being very bad. Uh, and another way it manifests itself is by being very good. Now, let me explain that. So in the, Thomas Paine's manifestation of pride, he openly rejects Jesus and he openly rejects God and, and Scripture. Uh, and he rejects Jesus because in his pride, he lifts up himself as the final authority. Uh, he doesn't need Jesus or Scripture because he himself is the standard of righteousness. And as a result of himself being the standard of righteousness, he, there, he doesn't need to try and adhere to any sense of morality. Right? If he is his own standard, then he can do whatever he wants. And that leads to, in essence, an, an immoral life. Right? He, can, he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Uh, that's one manifestation of pride that leads to an immoral life without restraint. But, but there is a, a second manifestation of pride that we see in the Pharisees. Uh, and this manifestation of pride, it doesn't openly reject God. In fact, it professes faith in God. But where the, where the pride comes in is that uh, they reject Jesus... Because they believe that they themselves, on their own, can meet God's standard. You see, both of these manifestations of pride reject Jesus, but for different reasons. And the second reason, the reason of the Pharisees, is uh, they believe that if they, through their own great moral effort, they can obey God and earn their own way uh, into His uh, good graces, they can earn their salvation it's a manifestation of pride, but rather than leading them to an immoral life, it leads them to a moral life. They look great on the outside, but what have they done secretly on the inside? They've rejected Jesus. They've said, we don't need him. I know what to do and how to do it, and I can do it in my own strength. And so both of these manifestations of pride are equally sinful. They are equally condemned and I, w- I would dare say that the second one may be even a little bit more dangerous than the first. Because the first just completely rejects. And the, the second one, it's a, a secret and hidden rejection. Uh, and especially the second one is the one that you and I need to be concerned with. Because there may be some here who are living along that same uh, thought pattern. That we can re- reject Jesus secretly and trust in our own obedience and in our own wisdom. But both of these manifestations of pride, the outwardly moral and the outwardly immoral, that this person is wise in their own eyes. They know what is best. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12, Solomon says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, and that's what Jesus is saying here. The Pharisees, they are wise in their own eyes. They don't need to hear anything else. They don't need to be taught. They don't need to be instructed. But Jesus is saying, if you are wise in your own eyes, there is no hope for you. If you believe that your own light, your own sight is sufficient, you will not look to Jesus. If you're trusting in your own sight, then you are actually spiritually blind. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is a very profound warning to the Pharisees and to all of us. We are religious people, and that temptation is going to be to do things in our own 
wisdom and our own understanding. But we have to depend upon Christ for our light and as the source of our sight. And we've seen these three distinguishing marks of spiritual blindness this morning in these verses as we, we see it in the character of the religious leaders. Right? Spiritual blindness is identified by its response to the light of Christ, by its confusion about its own sight and its trust in its own sight, or rather, you could say, a trust in its own blindness. Right? The religious leaders are saying, we're just going to trust what we can see and not see. We are the final authority. And this is the, the portrait of spiritual blindness that we have seen here in John chapter 9. And as we look at this uh, portrait, as we look at this painting, uh, have you ever, ever looked at a picture uh, and there's the people in the foreground, and then you, you kind of look at the details in the background, uh, and something surprises you, uh, something unique. It may be somebody who's, you know, uh, photobombing or, or waving or doing something. Something unexpected is there in the background of this painting. Uh, you've probably seen photos like that. Uh, and, but as we look at John 9, what we need to, to, to realize, as we look really, really closely, we see ourselves here in the background. We see ourselves in this portrait. There's two big ways that we might see ourselves in this portrait in John 9. The first way is that we might see and recognize that we are among the spiritually blind who are painted here. We realize that is me because I have been trusting in myself. I see myself as my own authority. I've been trusting in my own wisdom my own works to make it through life, to to get right with God. That's spiritual blindness. That's what Jesus is laying out for us here. Uh, And if if that is you, if you recognize yourself in that, Christ is calling you here and now to confess your spiritual blindness and to look to Him in faith. To acknowledge that you need Him to give you sight. You have to look to Him. A second way that we might recognize ourselves in this picture is that we might begin to see that we have spiritual blind spots. Now, that's different from spiritual blindness. Let me, let me explain what I mean. Now, those who have trusted in Christ, we have received spiritual sight. Uh, Christ has saved us and, and given us uh, uh, His Spirit to dwell within us and to lead us and guide us. Uh, and yet there are still going to be spiritual blind spots in our lives. And how do we know if we have these blind spots and how do we see them? Because typically we are blind to our blind spots, right? So how do we look for them? Well, I'll say this. Number one would be examining the Word. Looking to God's Word is going to teach you about those blind spots. It's going to help you see what you cannot normally see. But if you're still struggling to figure out, well, what are these blind spots in my life? I would, I would just say some some thoughtful and careful examination of your life is going to help you to see some of these potential blind spots of where am I uh, not submitting my life to Jesus? I would say this. Just ask some of these questions. Where, where are my relationships strained? What are my conflicts about? Right, what, what sins do I continue to return to over and over again? 
What situations and struggles keep popping up in my life? What is it that leads me to feel distant from God and from others? If you start to to ask and answer those questions, you're probably going to begin to see some areas in your life that are blind spots. And these these are smaller areas. You may have trusted in Christ for your salvation. You say, I can't save myself. But then there's little areas in your life where you're saying, but I can, I know what to do in this situation. I don't need to submit this area of my life to Jesus. I have wisdom. I have understanding. I can, I know what to do here. And because we don't acknowledge and confess those blind spots, it's going to reap chaos and carnage in our lives. We're, we're going to, to feel the fruit of those decisions. And in those cases, we may have professed to have sight, and we may have professed to be following Jesus, but we're actually doing our own thing. We're acting pridefully in, a, in the same way, but in a smaller area as the Pharisees, as Thomas Paine. And we need to see those. And again, we don't see them on our own, so we need others to help us see. That's where... God's word comes in and it's so important and that's where the church comes in and it's so important. How will I see my blind spots? By going to God's word and also by somebody, usually my wife, telling me, hey, that's a blind spot. You need to work on that. Uh, or somebody else who, who loves me and cares for me coming alongside and saying, hey, let's talk about this. But we have to be aware of spiritual blindness and spiritual blind spots in our lives. And we must confess both to Christ. And ask Him to help us. We have to cry out to Him to give us true light and sight in every single area of our lives. Lord, help me to understand how to fix these relationships. Help me to understand how to resolve conflict. Help me to understand how to uh, break out of this habit of sinful responses. We need to pray for Christ to be the Lord of every part and every aspect of our lives. And then submit our life to Him. Seeking the wisdom of his word. Now earlier, as we were singing, O Church Arise, I love this lyric. He says, the sword which makes the wounded whole. What's that speaking about? God's word. Right? This is what we need to make us whole. Uh, whether that's speaking of salvation or smaller individual areas of our life that we need to confess and address. But if we submit all of our life to the Lordship of Christ, we will experience the healing, blessing, and salvation that Jesus, Jesus offers to us. He offers transformation. He offers hope and restoration. What does he say? That what, what will he do with those who are blind? He will give them sight. He is the light of the world. All who look to him will never walk in darkness. So may we look to him as the cure for our spiritual blindness and the cure for our spiritual blind spots. Amen.